Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. Hey, amigos. It's me. I'm back. Chris Lewitt. Prodigy Maker Show, episode 21, I can't believe it, we've done 20 episodes from 2018 and 19, and, and we had a brief, brief summer break, it's really good to be back, it's good to be back with you guys, and I'm excited about the next year coming, where we're going to do a whole bunch of new episodes, and we're going to talk junior high performance and Spanish tennis, and whatever else you guys throw at me. So I'm super excited about the show, and I want to introduce my co-host, Sammy, as always, my my buddy, my partner in crime. I'm going to share with you guys here. Sammy, say hello. Did you miss everybody? Right here. Hey, everyone's here. Say hi. That's Sammy, boy. Doing good? Yeah. I don't know if you got that. Sammy's in the house. I made it home. It was a long night teaching and I had to stay late to help a student out. So that's why I was getting on late. Sorry, guys. I try to get out on time. I see some old friends already tuning in. And I'm sure we'll make some new friends this season. I'm excited to get more and more viewers of the show and also more listeners on the podcast so I'm very excited to get the show up and running again. It was a long hiatus. I've been away, I've been traveling a lot. I was in Vermont for our summer camp and I was also traveling in Europe. I was in Europe for a month. I was in France and I spent a long time in my favorite, you know, some of my favorite places in Spain, of course. My my home away from home, primarily in Barcelona. So I've got a lot of adventures and stories to share with you guys. And also I'd like to talk about Spanish tennis tonight because just wanted to sort of summarize my trip and my perspectives on Spain. And I also wanted to talk about some things that are bugging me about junior tournament tennis. So thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. I hope we have an exciting show. As always, this show is primarily about answering questions. That's, that's why I started the show. The, the reason was because I wanted to be a resource for parents around the world, parents of junior tennis players primarily, and of course also for coaches and tennis players in general. But my main love is helping families and parents of juniors because that's what I do. I'm a high-performance junior developer. So that is uh, what the show is really about, is answering questions about junior development. Uh, so we have some other tangents, some other subjects that we go into. You know, I always love to talk about Spanish tennis because I wrote 
the book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, and, and uh, that's an area that I'm very passionate about, an area of expertise for me, and I also love talking about technique. You know, I'm a hardware coach. I love working on the technique and the fundamentals of a player, so anything in that realm, if you guys have questions, please feel free to shout them out, to make a comment, uh, and I will do my best to answer everyone's questions uh, live in this format. And if I do miss one of your questions, I always go back into the comments and answer the, the questions after the, the video is posted. So if, if for some reason, or if you have a question that I didn't get to, or you have a follow-up, please post it in the comments, because a lot of people read the comments, and I will go back and try to answer everyone's questions, hopefully questions about, uh, primarily about junior development, because that is what the show is all about. But, you know, sometimes we talk about other things. We talk about ATP Tour, or WTA Tour, we talk about uh, other subjects in the tennis arena so you know the, the show is is free-flowing and it's open to all and and uh, but the main focus for me and my passion is junior development and helping kids especially helping kids who who may not have access to good coaching advice there's a, actually I, I've had many many parents reach out to me from from all over the world and there are many places where it's really hard to find a good coach and so one of the the reasons for this show existing is that uh, I, can, I can do that. I can do it for free and I can do it uh, with this format and, and it goes, it's available all over uh, the internet and, and even on a podcast now. So it's very exciting for me. So thank you guys for tuning in. I see some old friends, Salvador Gomez Jr. Thank you for saying hello from the Philippines. And I see my buddy Ryan Fuger is watching. Thanks for waving, buddy. What's up to you? Thank you. My old friend and coaching mentor, Gilad Bloom, is watching. Thanks for the wave, Gilad. I am forever in your debt. Uh, you were the first coach to really show me what it means to, to, to fix technique and to see the, the game in a technical way. And I still think Gilad Bloom, guys, is a technical genius right there. If you... If you never heard the name, he's the real deal when it comes to technical coaching. And I was very, very lucky to get started as a, uh, as a coach learning from Gilad. I, and I always say that with a lot of respect. A lot of respect there to you, Gilad. Uh, looks like my wife is logging on. Very cool. Kimberly Weiss Lewitt with a very professional looking uh, photo there. Very cool. Thank you for waving. So let's talk about my adventures in Spain and if you guys have any questions about Spanish tennis or what's going on in Spain right now please let me know and I'll be happy to answer I live in Spain for about a month every year in the summertime so that's uh, Spain is like a second home to me especially Barcelona and I always try to make a lot of study trips there if I uh, so I, I go there and I live in the summer for about a month and then I tried to make other studies, trips to Spain to study with different coaches or to visit the various academies that are there. And so I, I, I've been doing this for now 12 years and, and I tried to stay up to date on the latest, uh, the latest ongoings there, the, the, coaching, uh, the coaching shifts, the, what's happening with the academies, you know, the news in the academies and what, what's happening with players there. So 
So without getting into too much of my personal adventures there, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk about you know, the state of, of tennis in Spain. I will tell you guys, although I did have many great, great adventures. So I bring my family along in the summer, so we had the whole crew out there. Guys, I'm having a new baby. Very excited. I have to share that news with you guys. The new baby's coming in a month, so I'm going to have number four, numero cuatro, and I'm very excited to welcome the new baby. We call it the last Jedi. It's going to be a little girl. And you guys can try to guess the name. I'm not going to reveal the name yet, but I'm very excited about the new name too. But so we have a little girl coming and it's going to be in the next 4 weeks. So I'm sort of on tenter hooks here. I'm very nervous and excited at the same time. And we'll have uh, some new news uh, and a new a new human in the household that will make number four for, for me. I have three other kids, two girls and one boy. So we have another girl coming. We have a full house of girls here. Uh, fortunately, we have Sammy, who's not helping out much with the show tonight. He's sort of just chilling, as he like he normally does. He's probably going to take a nap. And we have Chippy the hamster, and we have Wolfie the cat. So. So we're, we're, we've got a few uh, boy pets in the house, but we're going to be outnumbered in terms of the girls. So I see my buddy Gordon Paul is saying hello. What's up, Gordon? How are you? It's great to be back. And my, uh, I have a lot of old friends on the show. Spencer Weinberg is waving. Thanks for the wave. Emiliano Lusky, Lusky, almost like Lewitsky there, almost like my name. Uh, is waving. It looks like a new viewer. Thank you for tuning in. Guys, one of the things I wanted to ask before I get rolling here is could you please share this live feed with your friends and uh, followers? That would be a big help. I'm looking to grow our audience and that would be tremendous if you could share the feed with your friends and, and any groups also that you're affiliated with. So on Facebook, that's really easy to do. You just hit, click share and you can share, you have like a choice of, or you could share to a page, or you could share to a group, or you could share to your friends, and that would be a huge help for the show. Uh, the show is, is uh, in our, we're in our second year, and we're, we're trying to grow our audience and, and sort of uh, get the word out to more and more folks that there is a serious high-performance junior coach, and he's answering questions online, and he's doing it for free, and it's a lot of fun, and and uh, and hopefully we can have a great. We, I try to call I call it a, like an intelligent community of learners, so I can share what I know with you guys, and also you guys can share back, and we can try to develop ourselves as coaches. And um, and also, and the end game is to help the help players, to help kids out there. So, getting back to Spain. One, one, one perspective from Spain that I've, that I've noticed in my last trip is that there's a proliferation of Spanish academies and Spanish camps. And so I think Spain, as, as I predicted, I wrote an article about this a couple of years back when I talked about how Spain is going to become the destination in the world for training and I think that that is, is now, it, it's, it's happening. It, it basically is, I, I think, especially in the Barcelona area, 
uh, going down to the region of Valencia, and also now including Mallorca, there's like a triangle there in Spain that is, I don't know how many hundreds of miles, not, not, not too far apart, but that triangle between, between Barcelona, Valencia, and Mallorca is, is the mecca for tennis in the world, I think, for, for training. And there are so many high-quality academies and coaches and former professional players in that area. It's remarkable. I would say the only rival, and I've written about this, is South Florida, or maybe going down from Tampa to Bradenton, or the coast of you know Delray down to Miami. For me, those two play those you know South Florida or or uh, just Florida in general and Spain, particularly that region in Spain from Barcelona to Valencia to Mallorca. It, there, there's nothing like it in the world between those two spots. And if I was a tennis player or if I had a kid who wanted to play serious tennis, those would be my destinations. You know, certain stretches of Florida or this stretch of Spain that I'm talking about, especially along the coast there between Barcelona and Valencia. Barcelona to Valencia is maybe a four-hour drive, a little bit less than four hours. And Mallorca is off the coast of those two cities in the Mediterranean. It's actually an island, and you can get there via ferry or a short plane ride. The plane ride is easier. It takes about 50 minutes, and it's really inexpensive. The ferry ride is a long ferry ride. There's an express and a regular. I've taken the long ferry ride. It takes a long time. It's an overnight, like eight or nine hours. But it's the only way to get your car over to Mallorca. So we did that one year as a family. It was a cool adventure, but I think in the future I'll be flying more to Mallorca because the flight is really easy, like less than one hour, and it's inexpensive. So anyway, Spain as a destination for training is legit. It's, it's, it's come to fruition. It's there. And everyone is going there. For, exa for a small example, at BTT, Barcelona Total Tennis, which is a very high-quality academy in the north suburbs of Barcelona. And I have some, some, some old friends there. I actually trained there as a player for a little bit. And I studied, I've made many study trips as a coach. So they had their summer camp almost completely filled with New York players. I just happen to know that from, from a New York perspective because I'm based in New York City as a coach. So they had filled, their summer camp was filled with New Yorkers and all sorts of people from the U.S. are now going uh, to Barcelona as a destination, to a lesser extent Valencia. I actually think Valencia is sort of like a secret hub of world-class tennis Valencia down to Alicante. So I would include Alicante in this uh, discussion as well because Alicante has some amazing programs and academies too. The first that comes to mind is Juan Carlos Ferrero's academy. It's called um, Equilite. Uh, and Juan Carlos Ferrero has an outstanding academy in Vienna, which is a little small town that he grew up in. It's amazing. I've been there. I have to make another study trip there. I didn't get there this summer, and it's the coolest academy. 
because it's basically Juan Carlos Ferrero's estate, and he has <clears throat> he has the whole thing gated, and so you drive up, and the gate has like a golden JC. I haven't been there in I think like eight or nine years, but I'm assuming it's still the same gate. It has a golden letters, right? I, I can never forget it because you go there and it's, it's like the JC on the on the gate and the gate opens up and you enter Juan Carlos Ferrero's private estate. But it's not just a private estate. He's got like sort of a luxury hotel there and he has all the housing for the players and he built out a whole academy around his house. So it's the coolest thing ever. I, I don't know. Uh, if this interests you guys or not, but it's interesting to me, so I'm going to talk about it because this is my show, right? If you guys have questions, throw them out, throw them up on the board there, and I'll, I will answer. But I'm just going to rap about Juan Carlos Ferrero. Okay, here's the really cool thing. Okay, when I first visited Juan Carlos Ferrero's academy, he wasn't really coaching. He had just finished playing, and he was sort of just floating around doing. I don't know what a player does when they retire from the ATP Tour. Juan Carlos Ferreira was number one in the world, if you guys remember. He's an amazing player. Beautiful game, beautiful technique and balance. And Anyway, so he wasn't really actively coaching that much, but now he's, he's like into it. Like he's back and he's working with all the players at the academy. It's like very exciting. And the academy is very progressive in terms of technology. They're really, they're really pushing modalities for healing and recovery so they're using some advanced technology for healing and recovery they have play site installed there they have an indoor court there they're, they're sort of in my mind on the cutting edge of Spanish training in terms of using technology and I think that's unique because many Spanish academies are sort of stuck in the dark ages when it comes to using video analysis and uh, using advanced different technological tools, uh, statistical analysis, and also uh, in the, the medical recovery realm. So I'm really impressed with the way Juan Carlos and his academy are, are pushing forward with that. You might know, you might, might know like Carreño Busta trains there. There's a number, there's some other pros that, that, are, that are always training there. And the most exciting prospect that they have, his name is Carlos Alcaraz. And I want you guys to sort of remember this name, Carlos Alcaraz, A-L-C-A-R-A-Z. Check it out. Carlos Alcaraz is sort of like, I want to say, some of the people in Spain that I've spoken with have high hopes that he'll be the next Rafa, that he could be the next Nadal. Uh, so he he's like the prophet coming because Spain desperately needs another incredible player. And so check out this kid, Carlos Alcaraz. Believe it or not, he's only 16 years old. So he's a 2003. And he turned 16 in May this year. I was looking up his record earlier. And it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive. He's 566 ATP right now. And he's only 16 years old. So forget the ITF circuit. Forget the junior ITF. He's f around 500 and change, and he's only six. He just turned 16, basically. So, guys, this is what it. This is the trajectory that a, a true prodigy 
you know, the elite of the elite are headed, uh, to be turning 16 and already around 500 in the world is a very good sign for a prospect. And they do statistical, you know, federations do statistical analysis of juniors to pros and the, and the trajectory that they take. And the, these, uh, this ranking and age would definitely qualify as a benchmark for potentially being a, a top ATP player. So he's really on track in terms of benchmarking uh, to be a, an amazing player. We, we don't know. There's been some other Spanish juniors that didn't pan out in the last five years or so. So uh, this kid Alcaraz is really interesting. He's not like a really big dude. He's like six foot, but he moves really well, kind of right-handed with a solid two-hander. Uh, I'm, I'm still learning about his game, but uh, a number of coaches mentioned his name to me as, as kind of the future of Spanish tennis. So uh, guys, check it out. He, he, you can follow him on Instagram. You can check out his videos, but but it's kind of exciting that there might be a, the next you know, Spanish player coming up. And, hey, Rafa Nadal is not quite done yet, is he? Incredible U.S. Open. And Nadal is uh, such a shining example of, of the, the greatness of Spanish tennis and the, the training methods in Spain, what they can produce. He's maybe, you know, arguably one of the greatest players of all time. So uh, Alcaraz. The reason I mentioned Alcaraz and... The Juan Carlos Ferrero Academy, Equilite, is that uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero is personally coaching Carlos Alcaraz. So he, he's a former number one in the world, and he's actually coaching right now Alcaraz, which is pretty interesting. He's, de he's devoting his time to this player, so obviously he sees a huge potential upside in, in Alcaraz's game. So uh, that's definitely a space to watch, as they say. So my... Buddy, Carlos Carrero is waving. What's up, Carlos? Thank you for, for tuning in. These are all longtime uh, viewers of the show. Uh, it's good to have you back. We will be programming. Um, we'll be publishing every Thursday now. I think we're going to try Thursday nights. Sunday nights uh, last year were uh, very difficult for me after a full day of teaching. So Thursday night I teach just in the afternoons and evenings. So I think I will have tennis on my mind and I will be a little fresher for you guys on uh, Thursday night. Also, Sunday night is my time to listen to church. I listen to my church service online, and the, the show was replacing church, which is unacceptable. So I have to get my sermon from the Riverside Church. That's a big church here in New York City that I love on the Upper West Side. And so because I work all weekend as a tennis coach, I'm sure a lot of you tennis coaches know, it's very hard to get to church. So I do my church online Sunday night, so I had to make a decision. Okay, should I do the Prodigy Maker show Sunday night or do church online? And sorry, guys, church won. Uh, so now we got to find a different night to do the Prodigy Maker show. Uh, we're going to try Thursday nights. I hope that works for you. I hope we have to get a good audience on Thursday night. Remember that the show is always saved on my Facebook page. Uh, on my profile and my Facebook, uh, the Academy page. And also, we archive all the shows on the YouTube channel. So you can go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt, and you can get all the shows. We have, this This will be the 21st episode, and they're all there, and they're all uh, in pretty good quality. The audio is pretty good, and you can get the, the video feed on YouTube, or also, of course, you can get the podcast now on all the podcasting platforms. Pretty cool. All right, we've got... Um, 
some questions on the board and I want to try to answer them. So guys, throw up your questions if you have them and I will do my best to answer. Heba Musa Kiliski. That's a great name. I love it. Uh, Heba or Heba. Sorry. My daughter has been playing for three years. She still has a lot of work ahead of her, but has a lot of potential. Would she qualify to go to Spain? Okay. Heba, can you tell me how old your daughter is and if she's playing tournaments? Because I don't know her age. So let me know her age and I'll let you know. You could also send me a video if you want to message me or email me. My email is chris at chrislewitt.com. Chris at chrislewitt.com. Uh, you could email me or message me her video, and I could check out her game and give you some feedback. I do that with hundreds of players. I get videos all the time from players, uh, from parents of players from around the world, and usually they're juniors. I, I do sometimes work with adults who are serious, but primarily I focus on juniors. So uh, you're, anyone out there who wants feedback, you can always send me your player videos, preferably in short quantities so 30 seconds to a minute for each and send me their you can send me their strokes or you can send me them playing points and I can give you feedback but if she's 12 and she would like to go to Spain does does she play tournaments where are you guys from does she play tournaments of course she can go to Spain there are many academies for young players there they tend to want to recruit players who are like you said, older and more advanced. They, they like to get players who are tournament level and who preferably don't have too much technical work to do. In my opinion, in Spain, they are not expert at building technique. So you have to be careful. If you have a player who is not fully formed in terms of technique, then I would highly recommend getting all of the fundamentals organized, to getting the player's game organized, the ground strokes and the serve. And then to go to Spain is a dream because they are not that technical there, but they will take a, a well-organized player and they will help them become stronger and, and more organized and develop their patterns and, and tactics. And they will push them very, very hard on the fitness side and work on their footwork and movement and that's, those are the real strengths in Spain. If you have a player who is technically raw, unpolished, I, I really don't think Spain is the right place, to be honest. Uh, what happens in Spain is most of the players who come there for training, the, the best examples, the, the most famous examples of players who made it, they came from countries that were very technical. So, for example... You have many, many players coming from Europe, uh, uh, Northern Europe, Eastern Europe, and they, they, they head to Spain for finishing school. And you have many players from, from England, and they do a very good job with technique in England. You have many players coming from France. They do an excellent job with technique in France. You have many players coming from Eastern Europe and Russia, Northern Europe, and all of those countries that I mentioned are, are very technical. And so the players develop good habits and good formation of their skills. And they go to Spain to get strong and to play on red clay outdoors year-round. And to, you know, to, to polish their game and to become a fully formed tactical player. 
And that's what they do so, so, so well in Spain. Check out Sammy. He's just hanging out with me today. This is weird. Sammy, what's up? Go rest. Go night-night. Go night-night. Go night-night. You guys see that? Sammy, where you at? It's weird. He never, he never hangs out under my chair like that. He usually goes to his, he usually goes to uh, his cage or to his couch. What's up? You okay? You want some loving? All right, I gave him a little loving. That's part of the reason why I do the show. I get some Sammy time. Sammy likes the camera. I'm gonna be posting more Sammy videos on the YouTube channel this year, guys. Get ready for some Sammy time. Good boy. Good boy. Okay, where was I? What were we talking about here? We were talking about how Spain is really not appropriate if you have a young kid, like, you know, let's say six to 12 years old who's still working on their techniques. Not really the best place to just, you certainly wouldn't want to ship your kid out there. I could tell you guys the, the academies in Spain that are a little more technical than others. You know, they do a good job with some of the basics. But in general, Spain is a place where you go to polish your game, to finish your game, to become a fully formed tactical player. They're the masters at that. You go there to, to, to get superior uh, fitness training and to learn how to move and grind and develop your patterns on red clay. That's why you go to Spain. You, you don't go to Spain like to learn a serve. I told you, I've told you guys this many times, at least on this program, I've written about it too. You don't go to Spain to learn the technique of the serve. You, you see many of the, the, even the most famous Spanish coaches, and I, I'm not going to name names, but I could, but you see some of the most famous, legendary Spanish coaches, and if you see them teaching the serve, it's, it's a little sad, guys. It's a little sad, okay? The, the serve, the, the biomechanics and technique are not the strength of Spain, okay? So, Many very, very famous players like Murat Safin and Dinara Safina, I'm, I'm, I could name you know, dozens of them, Andy Murray, and the list goes you know, on and on, Kuznetsova, many, many Russian players, for example. They get their wonderful technical training in Russia or in England or in France, wherever, and then they, they show up in in Spain and it's beautiful the Spanish coaches take they take their their games and they the players just flourish there in a in a very positive hard working environment so that to me is what Spain is uh, great for and the idea of sending your young player to Spain who needs a lot of work probably not a good idea that's why I said please send me uh, your daughter's video and I can see whether she's well formed or not and typically, uh, the higher the ranking, the, the better the technique is in the player. Typically, not always, but uh, so hopefully that helps. Heba, I hope I pronounced your name right. Is Heba or Heba? Let me know. Uh, you're in Queens, so you're, you're not far from me. I can, I can even check out her game sometime in person because you're pretty close. Okay, guys. A couple other thoughts about Spain, okay? Rafa Nadal Academy. All right, I'm just going to go out there and say it. It's a big paradox at the Rafa Nadal Academy. It's hard courts. 
I don't know if any of you guys have been there. I, I have been there myself. I didn't go there on my on this past trip, but what's the deal? Rafa Nadal is the king of clay, and the whole academy is hard courts. So I know many of you have been there because it, there's it's such a big name academy now, and it's it's very commercial, and there's a lot of marketing power behind the Rafa Nadal Academy. So I just think it's a inexcusable flaw in the academy itself, the way it was built. I mean, they built this thing brand new just a couple of years ago, and there's no clay. There is clay, but it's in a separate area of the facility. It's not in the academy part for the juniors. It's actually a, a community club that is uh, on, it's a, a pretty good walk from the main residence and the, where, where the juniors are, are living and, and training. So it, it's really incredible to me that at, at the, the academy of the greatest clay court player of all time, they don't have the clay courts front and center. So I just wanted to mention that it's the enigma the conundrum, the paradox of the Rafa Nadal Academy, and I really hope that they change it, you know, that maybe they install more clay for the kids who are residing there and training there full-time, and especially for the summer camp, because I know that many players go there, and they, they go there because they're locked in a place that has only hard courts, and they want to play on clay, the Spanish way, and... It's not really a, uh, an option there. You can get on the clay courts a little bit. I think they have eight or ten of them. But like I said, the hours to use them are restricted and there's not as much time uh, to use the clay courts there as, as it would at an academy that had the clay courts front and center that were really the, the showcase. To me, they should have built 20 red clay courts and showcased them as the heart of their academy. And they, they didn't do that. I could tell you a few stories about why they didn't do that. I, I, I heard through the grapevine some of the reasoning why. It's kind of a funny story. I'll tell you guys if you're interested, you let me know. Uh, but, but, you know, the bottom line is when you go there, they got 20 or 25 concrete cores. It's like a concrete jungle. And the clay is way over on the other side at this community club that they sort of, they, they use they can get courts there, but it's not it's not easy. And they typically put the older, more advanced kids. They get them more clay time than the youngers. So anyway, it you know it's a very professional academy. I, I don't want to sound too negative on the place. The facilities are amazing, and I have an incredible respect for Tony Nadal, who is the, kind of the guru there, the coaching guru there. I've been studying Tony Nadal's system for the last year. I've been taking his certification course, which is online. It's a very extensive course, has three levels. And I've been studying his system for the past year, and I'm not even done. There's so much material in the course. I will be one of my goals for this season coming up is to actually get through the entire course in a very thorough way. So I've been studying very hard on the with the Tony Nadal method. And my goal this year is to, is to really uh, finalize that study and, and come away from the course 
really feeling a close connection with the Nadal system, and I, I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's a really good system. Tony is very intelligent, and he's particularly good at tactics and ins inspiration and building character in a player. He's very, very good with the values and character that he instills in, in players. I love his philosophy in terms of shaping a uh, character and the human being, just the human just shaping human beings in general. He's got an amazing uh, perspective on life. So I'll keep you guys posted on that as my studies go. Ryan asked a follow-up question on that. He says, clay is vital still for training, don't you think? Point construction and value of making balls. I'm sure you still feel the same on this. Yeah, I, I do think clay is really important especially for young kids. I actually see it the opposite way. The younger the kids are, I would like them to play on clay. That's why in New York City, I work so hard just to be, become affiliated and to be able to teach out of a clay court club here in New York. So that's been, it hasn't been easy. I've had to fight and sometimes pay a lot more money to get set up at a club that has clay courts. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to teach at a clay court club the last I would say five to seven years, and it's been tremendous for my players because they learn how to slide. To, to, to me, there's a physical benefit. The, the surface is, is unstable. So the biggest benefit right out of the box is the kids learn how to slide and they develop better balance. And you also get a lot of bad bounces, so the players also learn to be more adaptable. So they have to adjust their feet at the last minute. It's real good for the eyes and the feet to play on clay a lot. There are many other benefits. I wrote about those benefits in my book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. So I, I spent a, a, good, a good portion of one chapter describing the benefits of clay, but there are a number of benefits like you, you implied or like you stated, Ryan, that a big one is tactics and point construction because clay courts are slower. Generally, they are slower. Sometimes in the U.S., the green clay is, is too fast because... Some of the clubs don't put down enough material or the, the courts can get dried out and they can get hard and they can actually kind of play like a fast court, which is not really good uh, for tactical development. But in general, the clay, if it's slow enough, it's really, really good for kids to develop patience, rallies, even though there's a whole myth going on right now that you don't have to rally to become good at tennis, that tennis is just about the first four shots. I've debunked this myth numerous times in writing, in, online, on this show many, many times, and I will probably do another show in the future because the myth will not die, and the four shots theory is basically like a cult, uh, a religion, a cult now, and people that are following this cult will not listen to reason at all. So for a future broadcast, we can talk more about the first first four shots myth. We, uh, or you can also, uh, you can check the, the previous episodes that we did. I, I've, I've talked about this. We have a, a number of spirited debates about the first four shots theories uh, in previous episodes. So those are all online and, and archived. So yeah, is clay important? Yeah, it's important for the, the movement, the balance of a player, it's important for developing adaptability because you get a lot of bad bounces. That, that's an uncommon one. People don't realize that 
players who develop on clay, they're, they're more adaptable with their feet and also with their hand, with their actual swing. So they, they can make last-second adjustments with the swing path and with their wrist that players who grow up like indoors a lot or on perfect hard courts, they don't usually develop a comfort in changing the, the path of their swing at the last moment. Players on clay are very, who play a lot on clay are very adaptable that way with their swing. That's one benefit of clay that a lot of play, a lot of coaches and players and parents maybe maybe don't realize. Another one is on clay. Another reason to play a lot on clay that you may not uh, be familiar with is that you get a lot of high bounces on clay. So uh, the training actually helps the shoulder development uh, physically. You, you can you can become stronger and and more comfortable on high balls when you play a lot on clay. People usually play with a lot of spin on clay and the ball tends to kick up above the shoulders. So that's another very good reason to play on clay. I'll give you an example. In Japan, where I visited, I, I played um, some tournaments. I played a pro circuit uh, event there. They, they play typically on a surface called Omni, which is an artificial turf with a sand layer on top of it. It's a really unique surface and it, the movement pattern is like clay so there's a lot of sliding. I, I kind of love it. It's kind of cool. And the, the surface itself is actually very fast so the ball bounces low and skids like on a grass court. It's a very popular surface in Japan. It's called Omni. O-M-N-I. And so it's like this turf with a, a lot of sand component layered on top. And my point in bringing that example up is the players in Japan, a lot of them are kind of flat ball strikers, and the technique is often a result of the environment, and in this case, the courts, the courts of a country, the courts that a country primarily plays on usually influence the, te the technique of the players growing up there. So in this case, the Japanese, they play on this fast skidding surface called Omni, and lo and behold, they have pretty conservative grips. They don't play heavy, and they're very comfortable with balls in a, a low strike zone. Those players will have a nightmare on clay if somebody kicks the ball up high above their shoulders. And so my point is that when you train on clay, you get to develop uh, your shoulders on high balls. And that is oftentimes... Uh, you see it sometimes with American players when they play in Europe, when they play on red clay, they play the French, they develop fatigue. I would argue and I will posit that many times they develop fatigue because they are used to hitting the ball in a certain range, strike zone, and that when they have to consistently play balls above that strike zone, their, their muscles get tired, their arms get tired, their shoulders get tired more than normal because they are used to hitting the ball in a, in a comfortable lower range. So, you know, maybe I went off on a small tangent there, but I'm getting back to the reason why clay court training is beneficial, that is one reason, because you get to play a lot of balls that are higher up in the strike zone, and that helps uh, your muscular endurance in, in those areas. And that means that you won't run out of gas if you have to play a long, grueling match on clay. Uh, of course, there are many other benefits to clay. I detail them in my book. Check it out. If you haven't checked out The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, you've got to go there, guys. I want to get to a few more questions that I think are posting. And I want to sort of... I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about 
the reasons why I think junior tournaments really suck and that are really unhealthy for kids. I mean, I, I guess we can get into it, but this discussion on on Spain, I, I mean, I could talk about the, my Spain trip for another hour, I think. I don't want to go too, get too crazy here, but uh, we talked about a little bit about the Rafa Nadal Academy and the, the enigma of the Rafa Nadal Academy. We talked about Carlos Alcaraz, who is maybe, maybe you heard it here first, could be the next Rafa Nadal out of Spain, only 16 years old, already 566 and counting ATP. I wonder what his UTR is. I see we've got some new friends on the show, Daryl Cummings, uh, UTR founder. Daryl, what's Carlos Alcaraz's UTR at 16? Very good question because that kid is a beast. He's coming up fast and he's already 566 ATP. His UTR has got to be got to be around 14, I, w- I would think, you know, for his age. It's pretty amazing. So I see my buddy Doug Cash is watching. What's up, Doug? One of the best names in the tennis industry. Thanks for waving. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the waves, guys. I appreciate the shout-outs. Uh, Doug actually came up to my club in Vermont this summer, and we met in person. That was cool. I didn't know he frequented Vermont. But, Doug, you're welcome back anytime to the club. It's great meeting you. So, Heba says, good to know we have Clay at the Westside Tennis Club. Heba, you should um, meet my friend Ben Sterner. He loves to play there. He's a member there at the club. That's a good place you got there. That's a great club, very famous club, and I'm glad you can play on multiple surfaces there. Just have to make sure that it's not the typical New York clay that is really slick and really hard and really fast because that is not going to do the job in terms of developing patience and patterns in a young junior if the court is too fast. The goal is is uh, developing defense. The goal is grinding. The goal is rallies and, and point construction rather than just blasting the ball as hard as you can. But if the clay is slippery, it will help your juniors balance. That's for sure. So anything that's slippery, I think, is good. In fact, the, slip, the more slippery, the better. You know, a lot of kids like to complain about the clay, bad bounces, it's slippery, but that is what helps you so much. I can't stress it enough, guys. If you have a kid in your lesson, if you're a coach, and they complain about the bounce or that the court is slippery or that they want to get back to the hard courts, I mean, you got to slap that kid across the head because they're missing out on the most, one of the most important reasons to play on clay, and that is for those two, adaptability in the swing and to develop the eyes and the feet better. You know, that's what clay courts do. Clay courts are the second teacher. You know, I say that a lot. So, you know, I hear that a lot here in New York, you know, that, uh, oh, the players say, oh, I don't, I don't like to play on, on, hard, uh, on clay. You know, I, I, I'm a hard court player, you know, because they feel uncomfortable on the clay, you know. Another thing that's funny is I hear coaches who say that they don't like to teach on clay. I've heard that from many coaches where they say, oh, I don't like to teach on clay. You know, there's a lot of bad bounces. It's really hard for my players to learn on clay because of the bad bounces. So that's another thing that I would say is just, you know, crazy, guys. Hold up. I almost lost my battery here. Let's see if I can get you back. All right, you're back. Hey, 
Sorry, I almost ran out of battery. I'm plugged in now. We should be okay. I hope I don't lose you guys. I hope I don't lose the feed. All right, where were we? We're talking a little bit more. Should I keep going on Spanish tennis, guys? Do you want to talk about junior development and junior tournaments? I've got a lot on my mind. I've been writing a lot of blog posts. Guys, if you want to check out my blog, you know where it's at, prodigymaker.com. I'm posting there a lot. I post all of my articles now. They all get they all go there. Every article I've written is archived at prodigymaker.com. You can learn all about it there. All about my philosophy, my my method, my approach to junior development, and you can also learn from the Spanish legends because I include a lot of wisdom on Spanish tennis at prodigymaker.com. Check it out. It's totally free. I know you're saying I should be charging for it, but I don't, so enjoy it. All of my writing, all of my thoughts and philosophy, it's all there, prodigymaker.com. Okay, Heba says, we want to know about the tournaments. All right, Heba, okay, it's a good segue. I guess we can get back into Spanish tennis another time, you know. But, you know, if you get, if you get me talking about Spanish tennis, I can just keep going. But, okay, Spanish tennis, summary for those who tuned in late. Rafa Nadal Academy, hard courts. What's the deal? Cray Cray, Enigma, Conundrum, Paradox, doesn't make any sense. King of Clay, all hard courts, bizarre. Okay, enough said. Carlos Alcaraz, check it out. Maybe the next Nadal. Spain in general, incredible destination now. The world leader for tennis. I think hands down, and we can fight about it if you want, but I'm just going to say Spain, world leader, tennis, destination. Barcelona by itself has got to be the greatest tennis city in the world in terms of top academies and having the best former pros, like the most former ATP, w, maybe not so much WTA, but AT, definitely ATP players in, in one region. It's incredible, just incredible. The only rival to me is Florida. Florida to me, maybe you could maybe you could make an argument for Southern California in the U.S. Southern California, Florida, and and Spain is to me the greatest places to train for tennis in the world. Okay, so Heba is a new viewer on the show. Heba, you are blowing up the show tonight, and guess what? We get to honor your questions. So if you would like to know about why tournaments suck. I'm going to go into that now, and what I mean by suck is unhealthy. Tournaments, especially USDA tournaments, are unhealthy for junior players. Let's talk about why they're unhealthy for junior players. Okay, number one. The number one reason why tournaments are unhealthy for junior players is that coaching is not allowed in junior tennis. Especially, I'm speaking from a U.S. perspective, USTA rules, they basically isolate a young player and they put a young player out there all by themselves in an extremely stressful situation, which I think is a bunch of BS. And I'll try not to use stronger language because this is a family program and I try to keep it PG. But in my opinion, it's a travesty the way junior tennis is run around this country. It may be different in some other parts of the world, 
I'm familiar with some structures for tournaments in Europe, in Spain, but in the U.S. it's a disaster. And personally, I think children are being harmed on a weekly basis in the U.S. Young children, I believe they're being psychologically damaged, traumatized actually, by junior tournaments. And I believe it's one of the reasons we have such a low participation rate in junior tennis uh, as far as players competing in USDA junior tournaments. So we have a lot of junior tennis players, but we have a very small percentage of those players who actually compete and who actually play in the tournament system. And I, I don't have the latest statistics in front of me, but I, I believe it's, it's a very low single-digit percentage of, let's say, the, if you take the amount of high school tennis players we have in the U.S., it's extraordinarily high, hundreds of thousands of high school players, and I think only a single-digit percent of those players actually play a tournament. And for those of those, of that small percentage who play tournaments, a, only a, a, another small percentage of that percentage play regularly. Like they play tournaments, like if you're in the junior uh, coaching business like me, they play, you know, like my players play tournaments two or three times a month even. You know, so it's a very, very tiny percentage do that. And you have to ask yourself why. Why do so many kids in the U.S., they don't want to play USDA tournaments. And I'll tell you why, because it sucks. It sucks to play. It's a, it's a terrible experience. It's a terrible experience on so many levels. And I just, you know, I promoted the show tonight by talking about the three, the three reasons why, the three main reasons, and I'll, and I'll go through them. If you, if you were guessing, if you were playing the guessing game, the three reasons are the isolation in terms of lack of coaching and parent involvement, cheating, which is another big topic that I, I've, I've dedicated whole, whole shows to talking about cheating in junior tennis because it's an absolute travesty, disaster, you know, a joke how much cheating is going on in junior tennis. And the third reason is the scheduling, the way the tournaments are structured. They're oftentimes held at inopportune times. The, for example, nationals are held during family vacation time, uh, holidays, and we have many junior tournaments that are scheduled late into the night, you know, because clubs have their non-prime time, so they put the juniors on way late, which, you know, no parent would, in their right mind, would want to stay till midnight with a, with a young 10-year-old or 11-year-old, for example, playing a tournament. But, you know, we have that all the time here in New York, for example. And tournaments are, are too long. They sometimes take up the whole weekend. They can take up the whole week. Uh, another thing in terms of scheduling and presentation is that the USDA tournament structure, the ranking system, is too complicated. You know, it, it's very hard to understand. The ranking system changes every few years. The tournament structure is changes a lot. You know, I, I don't even bother following it year to year now. I, I, I focus on building building the players. I, I don't care about the you know whether you know this this tournament changed, that 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 qualification changed, this this is the new draw size for the for the nat I don't I don't I don't care about that crap. You know I care about a healthy, organized, simple tournament structure and ranking system 
that is that promotes the game, you know, that makes the game fun and, and something that kids can look forward to uh, on a weekend or, or, you know, coming up. In general, there, there's just a number of, there's, so you have the structural problems, you have the cheating, and you have the, the deep, terrible isolation that, uh, that these young children are put are are basically uh, the, the kids are thrown out there like like Lord of the Flies, you know, to fend for themselves. And I would I challenge any one of my listeners to make the argument that that the kids need to get tougher, and that's part of the you know I hear this argument all the time, this counter argument that you know that's what makes tennis great. You know, it's an independent sport. Blah, blah, blah. That's a bunch of shuck and jive. And I challenge anyone out there, go ahead and make that case to me. Let's have that debate. Because it's a bunch of BS. It's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> Bringing out all my favorite adjectives. It's complete shuck and jive that, you know, little kid, 9, 10, 11, little Johnny's got to go out there and fend for himself for an hour and a half or two hours because it's going to make him stronger and that's what makes tennis great and kids need to learn how kids need to learn how to uh, you know uh, to toughen up you know learn to be independent at eight or nine or ten or eleven that's a joke that's a joke because you know what happens when they go to college guess who they got on their court all the time their coach he's there all the time or she's there all the time so we're asking these little kids to fend for themselves. But the college boys and the college girls, oh, they can have their coach there holding their hand, supporting them emotionally all the time. But a little eight or nine-year-old who doesn't know anything about anything and who's very emotionally fragile, oh, they can go out there all by themselves, right? And they can just, you know, they can just be thrown to the wolves out there. You know, these are traumatic experiences for these little kids, oftentimes very traumatic experiences. I have a son who has an anxiety disorder, I would never, I would never let my son play a USDA tournament. The way the tournaments are structured would completely unravel him. They would, they would ruin, they would destroy his psyche. I would never let my son play a USDA tournament the way it is. I would let my son play a UTR tournament that allows coaching because I can get out there on the court and I can, I can support him. I can soothe his emotions. I can help him navigate a very difficult, stressful situation. And that's what little kids need. They need either a parent or a coach to do that. And we can get into the debate about parents and some parents, you know, they're kind of crazy and they can, they can be just as bad an influence on the court as not. But most parents have their kid's best interest and most parents know their kid really well. And there are many situations in USDA tournaments where parents are stuck outside the box. They're outside the fence, they're outside the glass looking in, and their kid is melting down on the court, and the parent can't do, a, can't do nothing. They can't even help their kid. And all they need is like a, a couple minutes to go out there and maybe rub their son or daughter's shoulders and, and tell them what they need to hear and get them through this tough moment, and the kid can have a really positive experience. But, oh, no, they're not allowed to do that because, you know, tennis is special, and, you know, tennis builds independence, and, uh, oh, tennis players need to learn how to, how to deal with situations on their own, you know. Oh, that's what makes our sport so great. I mean, it's a bunch of bullshit, you know. Sorry, pardon my language, you know, family program and all. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired of this because I know I'm right about this. 
And the counter arguments are so weak and so illogical that I can just, I'll, I'll tear holes through, through anyone who wants to debate it with me. Let's do it. I'll do it. I'll just, you know, I, I don't care because I know I'm right about this. And what you have is institutional inertia. You have an institutional inertia where you have tradition and you have a, a bunch of Neanderthals who think that, that what I said about the way tournaments should be, who, who just, you know, get with the modern age, guys. Read, read. Sorry, lost you there. Hey, I'm back. You know, read, read some developmental psychology Read some studies. Read a book on, on, I don't know, read something about psychology and, and kids. And, you know, these are little children and we just throw them out there to the sharks. It's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the sport, I'll be honest with you. And this is one of the main reasons why we have such a low participation rate in competitive tournaments. I'm telling you guys, this is one of the main reasons. Because parents would be crazy to choose tennis over some of the other structured organized uh, competitions out there from, from other sports, you know, like compared to soccer, compared to basketball, compared to football. I mean, aside from the, the TBIs, you know, traumatic brain injury, you know, football, we win against football with the TBIs. But I'm saying in terms of the, the, uh, the parental involvement and the support from the coach, every other, every other sport, you have a little kid, like 8, 9, 10, if they're having a meltdown, like a traumatic moment, the coach is going to step in, you know, talk to them, you know, pat them on the back, maybe give them a, a timeout, a substitution, you know, they're going to try to calm them down. The parents can get in there and, and, and try to, you know, work on the kid's emotions, but, but no, not in tennis, we can't do that in tennis, you know. I mean, for God's sakes, even in boxing, you, you can go to your corner and get some, you have a ring, ring man, you have your coach there, you can get, you have your trainer, you know, you can get advice. I mean, that's one of the toughest sports in the world. That's why I think it's ridiculous when people argue that, you know, oh, we're going to make the kids soft if we allow a little coaching. Give me a break. Tennis is already, it's got to be the most psychologically traumatizing sport there is. It's brutal. Tennis is the most brutal sport where kids suffer out there. They suffer. And adding a little coaching or, or a parental timeout is not going to change that. The way the scoring is designed in tennis, it's devious. It's, it's just uh, uh, torture for the mind, the way our scoring system is. And the individuality of the sport is built in. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing's going to take that toughness away from tennis. Tennis is always going to be this brutal psychological game. And that's what it is. It's not a, it, it really is a tough game. And it's, and it's just crazy. It's, 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 it's outrageous that we, that we don't recognize that and recognizing the damage that's being done to young kids when they compete and allowing some form of coaching, whether it's on-court coaching or, or timeouts or, or you know, a, a little uh, parental emotional support. Come on, we can, we can do that. You know, we, we can change the game that way. And like I said, the inertia is just so powerful. And the, God forbid, you know, the USDA, by the time the USDA gets around to changing stuff, it'll be decades from now because there, there's, there's such a slow-moving, um, you know, hierarchical uh, institution. So I mean, my, my best recommendation is I would recommend parents not even to play USDA. Who cares? Who cares? Because UTR is better, and and the tournaments are are designed and run better, and they're and they're more progressive, 
And you can actually find USDA uh, UTR tournaments now where coaching is allowed. I ran three of them this summer at my club, and they were amazing. The kids had an amazing experience. I ran them myself. And I made sure that the parents weren't cray-cray. I made sure the parents were not uh, you know, telling their kids anything unhealthy or being a distraction from the matches. And it was an amazing experience. We had some kids who would have melted down, who would have complete, had the worst negative experience on the court. And they actually were able to complete their matches. They were actually able to, um, you know, to, to some extent, control their emotions. They're little kids. You know, they, they were doing a good job controlling their emotions with the support of a coach or with the support of a parent. It was amazing. It was amazing. And the USDA, there's no option to do that in the USDA uh, designated tournament now. USDA sanctioned tournaments do not allow that. Parents are forced out of the box outside the fence, and they, and they they are not welcome. So that's what I have to say about that. Let's see some of the comments we have. Heba says, yes, they are unorganized, and we'll talk more about that. I mean, I can get into the structure. I'm probably going over time here. I'm trying to keep the show around an hour and change, but, you know, once I get going, sometimes I just keep going. You'll see some of the past shows are like two hours, but... I don't know, that'd be a long workout to listen to that podcast, a two-hour podcast. It'd be like one of my long runs or something. Uh, Heba says, we've only done a few, and everything you mentioned is exactly how we felt. Exactly, and I'm not paying Heba to post this stuff. You know, this is just a real mom uh, who's out there and experiencing exactly what I'm describing because I've had many parents explain their rationale for being turned off to USDA Junior Tournaments, and they just reiterated many of the points that I'm making. Oh my gosh, this Jocelyn Michelle Gammon is watching. Thanks for waving, Michelle. Uh, Michelle, it worked for me this summer. She did an amazing job. Cool. Thank you for joining the program. Tell John I said hello. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for the support. Ryan Fuger says, WTA coaching, NCAA coaching, Juniors, no coaching. LOL, really. Right. I completely agree. You know, the ATP it will be instituting coaching soon. Martin Blackman, the head of the USDA player development, has stated as such. I heard him in a recent interview say that he believes in the next five years ATP coaching is coming. It's so silly. It's just such a silly debate. I would love to take on anyone with this debate because... I know I'm going to win. I don't want to sound cocky. I'm a humble. I try to be humble the Spanish way. I try to be humble, but this is an argument that I'm going to win. It's a debate I'm going to win. And I feel very passionately about it, maybe because I have a a special needs son. and, And I'm so disappointed that I would never enroll my own son in a USDA tournament. Never. Never. Maybe UTR. Maybe little Mo. You know, maybe another sanctioned tournament, but not USDA because of the way it's structured. Anyway, so, yeah, WTA, those girls can have coaching. The ladies can have coaching. The juniors, all, all, all the, the juniors in college, the juniors that go to college, they can get coaching. But little uh, Johnny or Samantha, uh, you know, they're 8, 9, 10. No, we got to throw them out there all by themselves. And they don't even get like a timeout. They don't even get, you know... They don't even get like a, uh, a call and a tea here. I got to go check with my mom or dad. I'm, I'm feeling like really stressed out right now. 
Uh, I just need like some guidance. Uh, no, we're going to leave them out there. Sometimes for two hours or longer, some of these matches can go long in the heat, under duress. We're going to let those little kids go out there and have a, a, a traumatic moment, traumatic moments after traumatic moments, because that's what they are. The kids are, are developing like a, a minor or maybe major PTSD, and they literally, literally do not want to go to a tournament again because of that trauma. It's basically a trauma, whether it's a micro trauma or it's a macro trauma. It's a trauma. We are traumatizing those little kids, their their psyches, their their little their little brains. You know, just insane. It's insanity. And I just think if you have a kid who is a little bit fragile, who's not you know maybe a cutthroat street fighter, because I don't want to hear the argument that, oh, the kids have been doing tournaments like that for years and they're, they're just fine. Yeah, I know. I have many students like that. I'm not a soft coach. I'm a very tough coach. And I believe in making kids tough. I, I train MMA. I work on an ambulance. I have, my whole family's in the military. I, I have no issue with being tough on kids. And I believe in making kids tough. And, I, and, and that... that that is not where I'm coming. I'm not a soft guy. But this is very clear to me that we are damaging many, many kids. And that's why they don't want to participate. And there, are there going to be some kids who are tough as nails, who've got skin like, like steel, like a steel skin, who can play junior tournaments, who can get cheated, who can uh, uh, handle the isolation of USDA junior tournaments? Yeah. Yeah, there are going to be kids like that. I got plenty of students like that. And they're tough as nails, and I would take them on the battlefield with me. But there's also thousands and thousands of kids who are young. Maybe they haven't developed that thick skin yet. Maybe they haven't developed that emotional control yet. Maybe they don't know how to handle being cheated yet. They shouldn't have to be cheated. I mean, let's get on to topic number two. Let's get into cheating, because I've done whole programs on that. You guys don't want to get me started on that. You know, but... But, you know, the kids, maybe they haven't developed the, the, the capacity to, to manage some of these stressful situations yet, and they need support. You know, and, and with the goal of making them tougher and more independent in the long run, that's childhood development. And that is good, healthy coaching. That is good, healthy childhood development right there. And we want to get them to a place where they're tough and they can handle a lot and they can play this brutal game of tennis. But we have to recognize that tennis is a brutal game where you suffer. And we have to slowly acclimate those children. We don't need to just throw them into the deep end of the pool and say, hey, if you swim, you're going to get a ranking. If you can't swim, we'll see you later. Go try a different sport. Or go play on your high school team where you can get some coaching and support. Because that's where most kids want to be. They want to be on their high school team where they can get some support from their buddies and from their coach and maybe even their parents. You know, depending on the rules of the high school program, you know. They don't want to be in this terrible, uh, 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 what, I don't know what to call it. It's, it's like a snake pit. It's like a lion's den. USDA Junior Tournament. It's, a, it's like a pit of snakes, and we'll just take the little, hey, hey, eight years old, nine years old, hey, go in there, see if you can, see if you can handle those snakes. Yeah, oh, oh, you're not, 
What? Well, you're crying? Why are you crying? you got to get tougher. I mean, come on. These are little kids. They're not joining the military at 18. You know, you don't coach. I don't coach a kid who's 8, 9, and 10 the way I coach a 16 or 17-year-old who's getting ready to go to college. I mean, it's a totally different ball game in terms of childhood development, in terms of growth and maturation, emotional emotional uh, stability and control and maturity. Come on. You know, it's crazy. The college kids can get emotional support, but the little kids can't. No, they have to be in the little fishbowl by themselves, and we all just watch. We all watch from the outside while they have their little meltdown, and then we try to uh, rationalize it uh, by saying, oh, well, it's making them tougher. You know, that's what makes tennis great. The kids learn a lot of independence. But some of them do, the, one, the tough ones, but the ones that, that are still learning or are more fragile, they, they quit. They don't want to play those stupid tournaments anymore. Who wants to feel shitty all the time like that? You know? Yeah. Ryan says, Sid was fine, Max not so much. You know exactly what I'm talking about, Ryan. You get it. You know? That's because they're, not all kids are wired the same. You, you know, you throw Sydney in the lion's den and she's going to come out with like eight lion's heads. You know, they're all going to be dead. And you throw Max in there, he's, he's young, he's a little kid. He, he needs more time to, to mature. He needs, he needs more time to, to become that, to develop those instincts. You know, it's just little kids are, are not the same as, not every kid is the same. And, and a lot of little kids need more support. I mean, is it really that crazy for me to, to say that? And why can't the Powers that be recognize that. It's foolish. Just foolish. It's foolhardy. Anyway, guys, I don't know. Am I going to get to the uh, number two? Should I just, I'll just throw it out. The number two is cheating. Okay. It, it's, it's embarrassing that little kids go to tournaments and, and they know that they're going to be cheated. I've talked about this a lot. Just, okay, let, let's just say it like it is. Little kids should have a, a competitive environment where they know for a fact, 100% that there's going to be no cheating. They're going to look forward to the weekend. Oh, I got a tournament. Sorry. I got a tournament on Saturday. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. You know, if I, if I have a little meltdown, I'm going to be able to call a timeout and like check in with my mom or dad. You know, get a little reassurance from my mom or dad. It's going to be great. And, oh... By the way, there's going to be no cheating. I'm just going to have a nice, clean, fair match. You know, I'm just going to play my hardest. And, and if I play, if I'm better, I'm going to win. And it's not going to be like if I'm leading, the other kid's just going to change the score or the other kid's going to start calling all the lines out or whatever. God knows whatever tactics uh, that little street fighter on the other side is going to try to pull because there's absolutely no adult supervising the matches. You know, and... Don't tell me that the, the umpires are there to make everything fair because those umpires, you, we all know it, they don't have the greatest training and usually they're really old with really bad eyesight. And they, let's face it, the kids who are really good at cheating, they know, how to, they know how to cheat around any umpire who's roving. You know, roving umpires are ineffective, let's say. So... You have this setup for little kids. Like you have a little kid, like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, and they really like tennis. And the coach says, hey, you know, why don't you go uh, play a tournament? You know, a tournament will, be a, will help you improve as a tennis player. And by the way, 
Tournaments will help you improve your character as a human being. Why don't you go play a tournament? Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll, I'll go play a tournament. But right off the bat, boom, you get knocked across the chin with, with wait a minute, I can't talk to my mom or dad? Oh, wait a minute, I, I can't even talk to my coach? I mean, I just have to be out there for an indefinite period of time by myself? Holy shit, that's kind of scary. Oh, number two, wait, who's keeping score? I'm keeping score and my opponent are keeping my opponent's keeping score and there's no there's no referee. Okay, so the, the plot thickens here for, for, for little Johnny, you know. So I, I'm gonna go to this tournament which is supposed to be healthy for me. It's supposed to help me grow as an individual and become a better person and a better tennis player. But right off the bat, bam, bam, you know, combo, uh, jab, right, straight, right, straight, left hook. Right away, the kid's just getting knocked down with that, with that garbage, you know. Uh, so that's the... That's the the first experience of these kids. And the USD has these stats. I'm telling you, many, many kids play one and done. I mean, one tournament and out. Don't play again. Because that first experience is so bad for them. Usually they get cheated. And once they get cheated, they're like, hell no. I don't want to go back to that. I'm going to go play soccer. Or I'm going to go play basketball. Because I got my buddies on the team and guess what? If somebody cheats or somebody, or somebody pulls a foul, they get called for it. There's a, there's a referee there and there's fairness. There's fairness in the, in the competition structure. And we don't have that in junior tennis. It's, it's an absolute joke. It's embarrassing. And, and it's really, really, on, on one level, it's really, really sad. It's really, really sad for, for what's happening to the kids out there. So that's how I feel about that. And the third reason that I sort of touched on earlier, and I'll try to wrap, I'll try to wrap this up, guys. Wrap it up in a nice little bow for you guys. The third reason is just the overall disorganization and scheduling and complication, complexity. It's so hard to understand the USDA tournament structure. Like... I have parents who are successful lawyers, doctors, they have PhDs, they have MBAs, and they struggle to make sense of it all. I mean, you need a PhD just to follow all the changes year by year, and the, the point system for the rankings, and not to mention the scheduling, you know, like I mentioned before, the late nights, the long weekends, the, the family holidays, you know, to have a junior tennis player who's seriously competitive, it's a high likelihood you're going to throw your family into chaos. Many families divorce over, over junior tennis, you know, because the families are, are broken up all the time. It's very unhealthy for a family. The way junior tournaments are structured is extremely unhealthy for a family unit, as a unit. So I just think the whole thing should be thrown out. If I had control over the, the tournament structure, the whole thing should be thrown out. There's too many tournaments. Way too many tournaments. And the kids are all chasing points. Very unhealthy. There should be a very small, uh, small amount of tournaments on the calendar. They should be scheduled 
during times of the year that don't destroy fam- that don't destroy family holidays, for example, and and not and, and family weekends too. And the way the tournament the way the tournament rank the way the rankings the rankings should be structured in a way that that the kids aren't always chasing uh, chasing points and just just playing to try to to get more and more points to move up the rankings. The, there should be a limited. The kids should be limited in what they do competitively, because after all, the the main focus should be on the training, and the competition at home, and that's why I'm a huge proponent of UTR. For example, the, what what UTR one of the goals of UTR, and other rating systems is to create more competitive play, level based play. I sound like a UTR commercial here, but. I have no affiliation with UTR, but one of the goals is to make more competitive opportunities locally for players, so they don't have to chase points all over the place. You know, and and they do that really well because you know a little a little girl at ten could play an adult uh, adult senior if they're a similar UTR. Uh, boys can play girls. You know, it's non-gender, so it, it's really cool. You know that uh, 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 that that. Girls can play boys, older people can play younger people, and you can get a nice competitive cluster in your area rather than having to chase points and travel all over the country um, in a system that favors only the rich families who can afford the, the, the flights and the hotels, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I guess I'm a big fan of UTR. UTR is not perfect. Maybe uh, on another show we can talk about some of the positives and negatives of UTR. I believe I've touched on that topic in the past show but we can, it's definitely worthy of a, of another look in terms of a show but guys think of the way USDA is structured i just said i'm out like my son is a pretty decent player and and if he wants to play tournaments i would i would never do USDA i would do uh UTR i would maybe do a little mo you know there there are some other uh tournaments around like 10 pro is a global a new global tournament uh, tournament uh, uh, platform, and it looks pretty interesting. I believe they allow coaching. I have to check on that. Uh, co- is coaching allowed in Ten Pro? If you guys know, let, uh, shout it out. Let me know. But you know, I, I'm looking for progressive, innovative uh, systems f- for where my son could compete. Otherwise, I'm not going to compete him. You know, and I don't believe in a system that shuts out parents. You know, I think parents are vital to the health of their child. I know some of you will argue that some parents are bad apples, and there are bad apples, but by and large, parents have their their child's best interest in mind, and parents have their child's welfare in mind. So for the sake of child welfare, I think parents should be involved in whatever tournament structure is out there. Parents should have a role, and they should be included, not excluded. They should not be shut out of the competitive process. And I know in other sports, parents are welcomed. Parents are, are generally welcomed to the sport. And in tennis, parents are shut out in the same way that coaches shut out parents. There, there is a, a terrible illness in the coaching community. I would say an epidemic, a culture of that maligns parents, that believes that parents are the problem, not the solution. And that basically disrespects parents and parental involvement. And it's so sad to me. I'm a parent myself. I'm a parent soon to be of four children. But regardless, I can tell you that, that parents are vital to, are often 
the vital link and the vital driver of a champion, and they're vital for the welfare of, of, their, of their children and, and in general. And parents need to be included in any kind of uh, uh, tournament structure and also in any sort of uh, coaching, uh, coaching and, and junior development. So I'm a, I'm a very pro-parent. I'm, I'm a big believer in parental involvement. And all of my clients and fam the families who work with me know that parents are always welcome on my court and that I always communicate and, and involve parents as much as I can in the process of junior development. So I'm a big believer in that. So, guys, I'm going to try to wrap up the show. It was a lot of fun. I'm super excited to be back. We're going to broadcast every Thursday night right now around 9.30 unless I'm late, unless I'm working late and I can't get parking in my own neighborhood. Can you believe that? That's what happens when you live near New York City. Sometimes you can't even get parking near your own house. Anyway, we are going to be back. This show will be archived at our YouTube channel. It's a great YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, I'm a little biased, but I think it's a cool channel. It is at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. You can just search Chris Lewitt, my name, L-E-W-I-T, for our YouTube channel. Check it out. We put new stuff on there all the time. And also, this show will be available on Facebook, on my profile, Chris Lewitt, and also at the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy page on Facebook. And what else can I say? Guys, we hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vamos!